Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, December 12th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, just, gosh, I don't know, uh, 12 <laughs> hours, less than, a little more than 12, no, a little less than 12 hours after I departed New York City. I am in Orlando, did not sleep much uh, over the past 36 hours, but I am here doing the show after we finish the show i'm going to go see waitress in theaters but i am back from my trip i will wrap up the the rest of the shows that i have not talked about on a travelogue episode coming up in the next uh day or so as ever i have an opportunity to get through that the shows that i have not yet talked about are stereophonic harmony i can get it for you wholesale Appropriate Rachel Bloom, Death Let Me Do My Show, Manhattan, and the Joe Iconis Christmas Extravaganza. Now, Appropriate and the Rachel Bloom Show are both technically not open, although Rachel Bloom has had a previous run of this. So I will talk about those in however I can based off of embargoes and stuff in that episode. But overall, a great trip. Grace, I was sorry that I missed you and we weren't able to connect because you were out of town as well. But I'll be back in three weeks so uh maybe we'll we'll catch up then so busy busy stuff but you can head to patreon.com slash broadway radio broadwayradio.com slash patreon all right let's get into the news and from a big picture standpoint grace this is something that it just came out just a little bit before we started recording so i don't think you've had a chance to look at it yet but i am sure it is something that you either already know or will be diving into for your day job purposes but the broadway league announced its or released its 2022-2023 demographic report that dove into all of the different areas of what the audiences look like that come to broadway they have a bunch of different reports you can purchase each of them for 25 dollars on the broadway league's website which i'll have a link to that if you want but if not um, here are some of the the key findings it does look like whatever Broadway did post-pandemic grace in terms of trying to attract a more diverse non-white audience has paid off because 29% of the Broadway-going audience last season were people of color. That is the highest share since they started collecting this type of data. So effectively one-third is not necessarily where we probably want it to be, but it is moving in the right direction. So even though we've talked so much about those shows not having the long lives that we want that feel like they are really making an effort to attract people of color and, and marginalize people who are not normally part of the Broadway going audience, they have had an impact, even if it hasn't necessarily been the impact that we had hoped for them and the longevity that we have hoped for them. But this is at least one big picture issue that seems to have gone well in that respect, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the rest of them, but but I, I I was pleased that we are seeing at least an increase in that number year over year. That's pretty big. Um, I'm I'm wondering if if there are particular shows that are um of interest, yeah, um, or if this is a kind of like vast overhaul of of saying that people are just more interested, or perhaps you know there's just more um ways to connect like through social that have more accessibility options that are not just the same old ways of connecting to the same audiences if, if our audiences have progressed. Um, so I'd love to see if there's a possibility of of, of more data inclusion on, on where a lot of this is coming from or if they're seeing you know more receipts in that case. But this is really exciting and I like to see that. 
Yeah. Is it is it just like the fact that we did have more shows by and about people of color, so that are that's drawing in more diverse audiences, or has it just been across the board? Uh, increases in BIPOC representation in audiences. I think that's a really good point. Another thing that I was actually very uh, pleased about was that the average age of a Broadway theater goer is the youngest it has been in 20 seasons. It's still middle-aged, but uh, it is going down. It's actually younger than me. I am now older than the average age of a Broadway theater goer. It is at 40.4 years old. So because I'm older than that, I consider that fairly young. But like when you think about on the the large swath of Broadway theater goers, that is substantially younger than I would have guessed, Grace. Yeah, I agree. And also I'm curious about if what is offered in, in terms of what the shows are, if they are closer geared to those younger ages. And I'm not talking like tweens, <laughs> you know, 10 year olds, but if yeah, like. Yeah people in their 20s are more interested in Sweeney Todd than they've ever been because of Josh Groban and Annalise. Like, I'm I'm just curious if if there's also something to be learned for that sensibility. Do you know what I mean, Matt? Yeah, I'm also interested in, like, how the, the crossover with the age and the diversity of the audiences interact. Like, are we seeing, because, you know, it is still predominantly a white audience, I wonder if because it has always been an older white audience, if the age is coming down and the people of color numbers are going up because of the same audience members. Does that make sense? Like, I wonder if it's the same people impacting both of those stats. Uh, If it's, um, there's a technical term for this that I could probably come up with if I'd had more than one hour of sleep last night. But like, is it the same people impacting both of those numbers? Are we getting younger, more diverse crowds Or are those two separate demographics that are being represented in these numbers? I think that you are closer when you're speaking around different ages also equals different, you know, backgrounds. Like, I don't believe that an older audience was as present at Life of Pi, for example. And again, I didn't work on that show, so I am really speaking out of my ass here. Um, But because it is so popular within our current like literary zeitgeist of what is needed for reading lists for schools Mm -hmm. if those audiences also helped make that up you know what i mean like i I just i think there's something to be said for for a lot of what is being offered this this past year yeah so we will see if these numbers continue there were some disappointing numbers and the the biggest one of that is that broadway sold 12.3 million tickets during the 2022-23 season That is just about 17% less than the last full pre-pandemic season, which was 2018-2019. So still a ways to go to catch up to that. Of the people who did attend uh, shows on Broadway, 35% were from the New York City area, which is about the same as it had been in 2018-2019. So it shows us that not just locals and not just tourists haven't come back. It is that it is across the board. Everybody has not come back in the same numbers as they had been pre-pandemic. We also have some information that says that people are not buying tickets as early as they had been before. In 2018-2019, the average date that people purchased tickets before their show was 47 days before the performance. Last season was down to just 34 days, still over a month, but that's 13 days. That's two weeks 
later than they had been in the past, which I think makes a lot of sense, especially when we're still trying to deal with, and it wasn't as much last season as it had been the year before, but like, oh, this might get canceled because people are sick. And I think that makes a, a ton of sense. Women are still the overwhelming majority in Broadway audiences at 65%. Um, and there's some other details about like how often people go. So if you want to see more of this, Playbill has a really good write-up about it. And I will also link to where you can purchase these reports if you want to dig down into them deeply. But I think for the most part, Grace, like this is positive. This is This is fairly good. If not, it's not great, but it, there are certainly things to be excited about. All right, let's move on to another story that is very exciting. So, Grace, are you familiar with the Limelight Church? Are, have you ever heard of this this building before? You had me at Limelight, and okay. then you said church. So, do you know it as a dance club? Yes. <laughs> okay. So Limelight, it's over on 6th Avenue. It opened in 1983 as a dance club, but it had previously been a church and it became like this epicenter of New York nightlife. Well, now it's going to be a theater. So Broadway producer Hunter Arnold and director Michael Arden, as well as film distributor Roadside Attractions, are teaming up to turn it into like a legit theatrical space. There's no necessarily timetables on this, but the blueprints say that the new theater will have a circular stage with about 320 seats across two levels. It's a 21,000 square foot space. It'll have bars and, and and stuff and dressing rooms and different spaces for the performers. The same group that renovated the Lyric Theater for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is going to be working on it. So I love this. It's not in necessarily like what we consider the theater district exactly. It's down around 6th and 20th. So it's a ways out. And like this is a building that you probably have seen before, but it, it's going to be renovated. I think this is great. I love the fact that it seems like it's a different type of space. It's a theater in the round. There's like the, um, is it the Sacramento Music Circus or whatever that has a stage that sounds like this, a circular stage in the middle and seats all around. So I'm excited about this. And obviously, if Michael Arden is involved, you know there's going to be some sort of very interesting elemental uh, part of that story as well with things going around it. So uh, excited to see what this looks like. And it's always great to have another decent but moderately sized off-Broadway space for some creative things to go in. All right, Grace, one of the things that happened on Monday morning was the Golden Globe announcements. And I know we are not necessarily all on board with the Hollywood Foreign Press and the Golden Globes and all that stuff anymore. But there were a ton of theater-related projects and theater-related people that received nominations. I'm going to run through just some of them, but I will have a link to where you can see all of the nominations. Some very, very cool things. Both Fantasia Barino and Danielle Brooks were nominated for The Color Purple. Maestro had a ton of stuff. That's the new movie from Bradley Cooper about, uh, about Leonard Bernstein. Cooper was nominated for actor and director. Carrie Mulligan was nominated. Um, it was nominated for Best Motion Picture Drama as well. Stage favorite Coleman Domingo was nominated for Rustin. Rachel Brosnahan was nominated for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Timothy Chalamet was nominated. Meryl Streep, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez were all nominated for Only Murders in the Building. Hannah Waddingham was nominated for Ted Lasso. Amelda Staunton was nominated. Divine Joy Randolph was nominated. James Marsden, Matt Bomer, Helen Mirren were all nominated. Disney's Wish was nominated. Barbie had a bunch of nominations. So a ton of things that are either theatrical, really 
related or actually just theatrical uh, in terms of like musicals and stuff like uh, um, Only Murders in the Building that is set around a Broadway show had nominations, which is great because we like to remind everybody that theater is where all the great artists come from, Grace. Yeah, I mean, we're always looking to do that, right? Especially when all of these Hollywood stars are returning to the stage again. So yeah, I think it's it's really exciting. And I know that everyone has different feelings about the clubs, but um, I think that anytime we're, you know, promoting and especially when there are projects based on famous theatrical um, mm-hmm. you know, influences, it's 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 important to to note. So I, I agree with you. I co-sign. <laughs> Okay, one thing that we both co-signed on the other week but ended up being very wrong uh, is who is playing Queen Agravain in New York City Center Encore's production of Once Upon a Mattress. I thought your idea that it should be Sarah Jessica Parker was absolutely brilliant, and I actually thought that like it legitimately could be SJP. It is not. It in- instead is Harriet Sansom Harris, and I think this makes this makes a lot of sense. Of course... Harriet Harris played the villain opposite Sutton Foster in Thoroughly Modern Millie, and it is nice to have them back duking it out on stage again. Not as sexy as Sarah Jessica Parker in terms of like a casting announcement. I'm not passing judgment on any actor or actress's uh, sex appeal, but just like it's not as fun of an announcement. But if it's not Sarah Jessica Parker returning to one show that she led on Broadway, having Sutton Foster and Harriet Harris return to the stage playing opposite each other and, and battling and duking it out. That's pretty fun. I think it would have been a lot more exciting if it was Sarah Jessica Parker. But like in terms of just like a theatrical thing, this is pretty good, too, Grace. Yeah. And, and we don't know if there were conversations where that was almost a thing. You know, we never know. Yeah, but um, I think this is great. And I agree that the the establishment of the camaraderie of those two is really important, especially for such a tight turnaround with a show on Encores, which is like two weeks. So I think that it's it's great. It's a great addition. I think one day I'll get my wish. Um, but, yeah. you know, for now, this is pretty great. All right. Something else that appears to be pretty great is the fact that Jamie Lloyd is coming back with another show to New York City. He is directing Lucy Preble's The Effect at a limited run at The Shed coming up next year. Performances will begin on March 3rd and it is only running through March 31st. It is coming from the National Theater in association with the Jamie Lloyd Company. And it is going to star Papa Asiedu as Tristan and Taylor Russell as Connie. They are participants in a clinical drug trial who begin an illicit romance. Also in the cast is Michelle Austin and Kobna Holdbrook-Smith. Between A Doll's House last season, Grace, and uh, Sunset Boulevard in the West End now, probably coming to Broadway maybe this season, but probably next season, Everything's coming up Jamie Lloyd right now, and he's absolutely killing it, and everybody is loving everything. So, you know, while The Shed, people might never have gone to The Shed other than for Here We Are, this might be another thing that, like, if they can keep programming stuff like this, it might actually turn into a a pretty important off-Broadway house for a lot of shows and a lot of people. Well, for now, it's truly a venue. Like, it's it's not, I mean, they're Mm -hmm. doing a theatrical production, but it's not it's it is a it's a it's a it's an established venue um it is not a theatrical house per se if things start to turn that way i think that there's going to be a lot of changes made 
but but for now it's it's really exciting to behold that there's something and Jamie's one to to pick a you know off the grid kind of spot like like the shed so totally. that's pretty cool um but also this year was the uh 10 years of Jamie Lloyd company anniversary so it it oh, cool. always you know people often talk about it it takes 10 years of work to become an overnight success i think this is a perfect example of that and how you know actors and creatives and producers have been like fans of for a long time and really invested in him but now seeing as though it's been a decade of this work it's starting to really take shape of this could be the ongoing thing of okay so we've got this project something like a sunset boulevard that people do love but doesn't need to be done the same way over and over again putting it in people like jamie lloyd's hands where for the most part i mean i've never met an actor so far knock on wood that has not talked about how much they've loved the process of working with him. The actors themselves have constantly talked about how it's their dream to continue to work with him. So I think that it's exciting. And like you, I have not heard anything but raves about Sunset Boulevard. I'm eager for it to come here because I can't get to London fast enough and my passport's expired. But um, Uh I think that uh, this is, I, I totally agree with you. I can't wait to see this one as well. Yeah. All right. So, Real quick, little last bit of news. This is pretty great, and and I know it was not a huge weekend for movies, but the Waitress Fathom Events live capture finished in the top 10 of the weekend. Box office actually finished at number eight. It only brought in an estimated $3.2 million, but it was in so much. I mean, it wasn't a wide release by any means, and it only had a handful of screenings per day, one, two, maybe in big cities, three. But I think this is great. We know that it is going to be available to pre-order on iTunes and Amazon and all of your PVOD platforms, premium video on demand platforms. Now, no necessar- no word necessarily on when it's going to be available, but I think this bodes really well, Grace. We had talked about wanting it to be on a streaming service so that we could watch it anytime, and we were kind of surprised that it went the Fathom route, which indicated to us that maybe it hadn't generated the the purchase interest, but like showing that it is going to do this well, and hopefully the pre-orders for purchase are really good. Maybe that leads a Netflix or an Apple or somebody to go ahead and pony up some cash to have this live on their streaming service in perpetuity. Yeah, like I said in in the conversation that I had with Sarah that's available to listen um, for for our listeners, uh, for Broadway Radio, um, it's really special and it really hits all the things that if you've never seen it, what a treat. If you've seen it and loved it a thousand times over, it does everything that you want it to do and more um, from an audience standpoint. They really give you the show um, and that's kudos to that director. It, it's really, it's really special stuff. So I hope it's available for everyone. But in order for it to be available to everyone, if you have the means and can go, um, go see it in theaters. All right. So uh, I don't have any recommendations, Grace, but I believe you do. So why don't you tell me about this one? I do. I'm excited. Another 54 Below show that I am recommending. Um, Jess Darrow has her show, Merry Mischief, on December 15th. That's this Friday. Um, If you're not able to physically be in New York to see this, don't worry, because there is a live stream that she's providing. So you can buy tickets to the live stream. If you're not available in New York City, the show is Friday, December 15th at 9.30 p.m. It's featuring not only her. And if, if you don't know who I'm talking about, Jess Darrow is, first of all, a star. Like, let's just say that. I think that yeah. she's a star. She's a star. She's a star. Um, but you may know and love her from her hit song, Surface Pressure from Encanto. 
Um, she was the voice and um, it was literally like the number one hit for many, many moons uh, because kids love seeing surface pressure uh, with her. But uh, this is kind of like a Christmas show and, and some of her own stuff. And she's just fantastic. And she also has Diane Guerrero, who was also featured in Encanto. You know her from Orange is the New Black and Jane the Virgin. And then yeah. Tomas Matos, who is uh, also like a friend and an incredible talent. Um, who you may have fallen in love with during Fire Island or um, Hades Town Tour. So anyways, it's a really great lineup. It's going to be a great show. Um, Jess does not disappoint. And again, I think that she's one of the voices that we should all be on the lookout for, especially after that Encanto debut. There's the sky's the limit and she's going to continue to do more. But this is going to be a great little holiday concert. So you can live stream it or come in person. Yeah, this is uh, very, very fun. And uh, I wish that I had known that Diane Guerrero was going to be in because I might have not I wouldn't have extended my trip that long but I <laughs> loved her on Jane the Virgin um of course everyone knows I love that show so to know that she's gonna be yeah. doing a show at 54 below like that's very cool so we will have a link in the show notes if you want to check that out all right that is all that we have for you today thanks for listening to today on Broadway follow us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Broadway Radio and you can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW Matt Grace where can people find you you can find me at it's Grace Aki all right everybody have a wonderful Tuesday we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow